Welcome to the Meat and Potatoes podcast. Today we're joined by David Weinstein, who's the founder and CEO of Freshwater Advisors. How are you? Wonderful. Thanks for having me, Garrett. Oh, you bet. Thank you. It is uh, October 1st, a beautiful month in the whole world, uh, but in particularly Utah, it's nice. Uh, perfect temperature, the leaves are changing. College football, ordinarily. 51 days away from opening day skiing, you know, so. Yeah. And those are, uh, you've got some skis behind you there, I see. Yeah, some big 120 underfoot powder skis and then my fair powder skis and then just my ripper skis. So it's nice to have, show, show all my friends from Chicago when I moved out here what I, lo- what I love about being out here. Yeah. What's your uh, favorite resort? Tough call. Probably Snowbird Alta is my home court, but I ski a lot up at Park City in solitude too. I love that we have so many options, but definitely Little Cottonwood Canyon is where I spend most of my time in the winter. Gotcha. Yeah, and we'll get to kind of your uh, your background of Chicago and, and other areas there, and we'll talk about why you came out here and uh, get your view on the local ecosystem and all that, but let's talk a little bit first about Freshwater Advisors. Um, what is it? What do you guys do, and uh, what's the idea behind it? So we're a national tech scouting organization. Um, I founded the company seven years ago um, in Chicago to help Fortune 500s and large corporations interact with startup ecosystems and startups to accelerate their innovation initiatives. For so many years, large corporations have not been in the fold of the entrepreneur and tech communities in meaningful manners, and that has completely changed. Now they're very involved, but they need resources to help augment their internal teams. Um, So I launched the company seven years ago, like I said, to help large corporation accelerate their innovation initiatives by scouting the best emerging technology companies to address kind of their priorities. Um, So we work for 20 Fortune 500s in four sectors, financial services, energy, industrial, and then health and wellness and pharma. Some of our clients have been uh, folks like Allstate, State Farm, you know, Walgreens, um, Caterpillar is one of our largest clients. And then in the energy space, which is where we spend most of our time, uh, uh, we do scouting for companies like Exelon and run their climate change fund. Exelon is the largest carbon-free generator um, energy in the United States, and they own six utilities. So we do all the scouting uh, for these companies to help them identify, find the signal in the noise, help them identify early stage companies to either do pilots, proof of concepts, partnerships, investments, and acquisitions. So we're kind of in the middle of that. We're 100% um, pretty much a service company that's developed a technology product to deliver our work. Cool. Yeah, sounds really fun and uh, probably uh, much needed for both both parties, the the big companies and the uh, and the startups. And I guess it's similar to uh, you know your scouting uh, baseball players from exactly exactly that's, that's the right metaphor for it and finding early companies before they get on radar screens, so that you know right now large com- a large corporation can't not afford to not know what it doesn't know it. And there's so much activity since 2010 and the lean startup and the growth of accelerators. I always say when I started the company in 2010, there were 40 accelerators nationwide. Now there's over four 5,000 globally. So how do you pay attention to all that churn of new companies coming out when it's not your core business? And so we serve as kind of an augmented resource 
to help these large corporations. We work typically for the chief innovation, their head of their corporate venture arm or their chief technology officer. So we get a really good sense of what some of these large companies, which represent huge markets, are doing. And so uh, it's a value added service, not just for them, but really the services around my love, which is helping entrepreneurs build capacity in the greatest form of capital in a company is customer revenue. It's not just capital. And so if you can make those meaningful connections, you really create a path for co-creation, which is a great measure of innovation IQ. Yeah. Yeah. I know there's a lot of, you know, corporate arms, uh, corporate investment arms, some actual funds, but one that comes to mind and I believe it's called Steamboat Ventures, right? Which is the, the venture arm of Disney if memory serves. And uh, I always thought that'd be a fun one yeah. uh, to work at. No doubt. No doubt. And, you know, we work for Caterpillar Ventures. We've worked for CME Ventures, which was the first venture fund launched by the largest future exchange. And so when corporations, just to give you a data point, Garrett, um, in the last two years, corporation, corporate venture funds participated about 25% of A and A rounds. So they are a huge participant of capital, but what they bring is strategic value as well. Um, but they often don't have this, while they're part of a big organization, you might only have one or two people inside a Fortune 50 company scouting around the world. And so they don't have all the necessary arms and legs and resources to actually find the best companies. So that's where we filled in, in the void and have had a good run of helping them. Yeah. So what are some of the the processes and, and methodologies that you guys use? You know, a baseball team will send scouts out across the world and um, South America, Asia, and then obviously United States, and they're, they're watching high school baseball games, right? And filing the reports, I guess with sabermetrics and Moneyball, that may, may have changed a little bit, but bottom line is you've got to go and and see the kids play. Um, how do you guys cover? Because you, again, you've got five thousand accelerators now. Plus, the, you know, there's probably ten x that of companies that aren't in accelerators. How do you guys farm all of that and uh, push it up the chain? So that's our unique value prop. You know, having been the guy that was the chief technology officer for the city of Chicago and founded what became 1871, I've been involved in entrepreneurial ecosystems. So I have peers around the country. And so one of the first things that we did in building the business was building a scouting network. And so for us, our scouting network, which is the core of our process, is having relationships with accelerators, both by function, by geography, by continent, um, and actually have stitched them into a scouting network that we communicate with, in addition to all the other accelerators. So our scouting network has upwards of about a thousand entities being VCs, university tech transfer funds, um, on the ground domain specific scouts, and actually having built the scouting network, which was pretty much 20 years of work for me, I just turned 50, and now packaging that as part of kind of our service. That's the value prop, because often, Garrett, when you go to a large corporation that's, say, headquartered in a certain city, they typically have relationships in that market. You know, they have ties to the university, the business school, the venture funds, but they don't have ties outside that. And you can't now run, be a global business and just have relationships tied to your headquarters. And so having this global scouting network is a huge part of our process. In addition to having a team 
of folks on my team that actually do direct scouting. So we have operations now here since I moved here in Utah. We have two two full-time people here in Utah. We got a couple people in Chicago and then ties to Los Angeles as well as Toronto as part of our staff. And then we augment that with this scouting kind of network that we have to you have to care and feed that scouting network. You have to show them opportunities. You have to help get referrals for them. And just managing that is a hell of a lot of work. And so kind of that's where, where our value proposition comes in. Yeah. Um, perhaps you don't know the, the answer to this, but so on the, on the corporate side, I imagine they're, they're debating a few things, right? Um, we could build this product. Um, we could, uh, invest in a startup and then eventually acquire them. Um, or we could just keep our hand, our heads in the sand and, and hope uh, for the best. But um, what do you think the, the main point for, for these uh, big corporations is, as they, as they do these acquisitions or investments? So that's, that's a complicated, it's a great question, has a complicated answer. I'm going to try to make it simple. It depends on what I call the innovation IQ of the corporation. So let me give you an example. Cisco, Google, these guys are have incredible. Amazon has 400 people that just scout companies inside Amazon for acquisition. Google acquires hundreds of companies a year. So there are some companies that have a very high innovation IQ. For us, when we work for old line businesses, 100-year-old businesses like Northwestern Mutual, Caterpillar, large businesses that are in on our on like a seven year journey of, of really building out those things. They, they need, um, you know, they need help and resources. And you ask what, what is their key motive? Oftentimes the modem historically has been for investments to hedge risk or to potentially put a little money into acquire. What's really changed Garrett is this mode of experimentation. So if you think about with the lean startup, what happened with Accelerators? We figured out how to teach experimentation. I, I have an MBA from Kellogg. I have an MBA in, in entrepreneurship, and we didn't have that experimentation framework. Now you can teach experimentation. So what do corporations want? Instead of just looking at the myopic lens of just investing and going through ups and down cycles where the market will go up or down, and you'll have people pulling money off the table or not, now they're trying to create a culture of experimentation. Well, that's very hard for corporations to do. And that's kind of where we fit in. So we believe it's not a one size fit all. We think experimentation for large corporations to get to this innovation IQ means experimenting through pilots, prototypes, even identifying early stage companies that they can mentor through their employees, doing strategic partnerships, and then investments and acquisitions. So we think it's a, it's a spectrum of engagements and it all depends on how that corporation's resources are aligned and where they're at on their innovation journey. Yeah. Interesting. So, uh, you know, if you're an entrepreneur pitching to venture funds, um, you're probably going to have to pitch to dozens, if not hundreds to, to get your big break there. And you're probably, uh, if you're following sound advice, not overly worried that they're going to steal your idea. Right. But it might be a little bit different for an inventor slash entrepreneur um, pitching to a, uh, a Fortune 500 company in a specific field that they both know about. What let's say it's auto parts, or uh, they've got a cool invention that could help um, uh, with mileage on a car or something. Um, have you found that the entrepreneur is a little bit more jittery when they pitch to these uh, 
companies that they might just uh, say, hey, we're not interested. And then three months later, they see their idea come out of the market. Certainly that happens um, a lot in some circumstances. One of the things about our process, we reversed engineered it. So as a fellow entrepreneur that tried to sell into large corporations when I raised $30 million with my software company, I realized I would knock on all the doors of these corporations and I wasn't listening to what was important to them. So one of the key things for a startup trying to pitch a corporate venture fund, you must not just try to pitch them, you must know it's a priority that they're being judged on. So what we do is we narrow that gap. We find out what the innovation priorities are. And then we tell startups, this corporation is actually looking in this area. We've actually scouted you. And that's how you get to connection way better. The worst part is a startup not knowing what the priorities of a corporate venture fund, just reading some stuff and pitching them. You'll probably almost never get a meeting. And if you do get a meeting, your gulfs apart because it's not their focus or it's not really their priority. And sometimes corporations have a hard, they have to be careful about what they telegraph because they're public, right? Yeah. So again, there's a lot of work to be done and we try to, to bridge that gap. But anyways, you asked a very important question about how do you protect stuff and make sure um, there's no navel gazing, which large corporations can do or give you a slow maybe. So one of my biggest piece of advice for entrepreneurs is a fast no is almost as good as a yes where I come from. And one of the things I try to teach entrepreneurs that are working with corporations, have a good meeting, get to meet them. But if they're not interested, get to a no, click them off and move on to somebody else. And if a large corporation is doing a lot of navel gazing, one of the key ways you'll know if a corporation is interested is if they get put in path an NDA. Often startups are gonna to wanna to initiate an NDA, corporations aren't gonna to wanna to do it. But the second they tell you they want to do an NDA, you really can spend some time with them. And I would actually say after one or two meetings, after that second meeting, either get to a no or get to an NDA. And that really helps that process. And it brings trust back together between both parties. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's smart to think through that that way. And it uh, makes a lot of sense. Have you found uh, that, you know, there's, uh, there's folks that work for 10 years at a corporation and they see, you know, three or four things that don't work or could work better and they uh, they phase out and start their own thing with the kind of the intent of re reselling their ideas back to their former employers. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and you've obviously experienced that cause you're telling me, in fact, I, we, we listen since shark tank, listen, when I, in 2000, you know, I was on the cover of a paper in Chicago for failing. We used to tar and feather entrepreneurs for failing. Now being an entrepreneur, it's like a badge of honor failing. Why am I telling you this? Now you see people inside corporations where their friends are either starting businesses, they got family starting business, and they're starting to think, wow, maybe I can take my experience in learning scale in these markets and apply it. So we actually see a lot of entrepreneurship and many good corporations actually have an enlightened perspective of taking their employees and allow them to start businesses or they're going to lose them. Right. And so that is absolutely happening. I think it's going to happen even more over time. And what you find, and I like to share this concept of innovation IQ. I think it's really important when a large corporation sets up a path to take internal ideas, so internal innovation ideas, do a competition, and then give them money to stay in the company to pursue their idea, that is a new modality that's a beautiful thing that's happening. 
And um, I'm excited with the corporations we work for. They both look, hire us to think about finding external companies that they can bring in the fold, but they also find ways to, in, to engage their internal employees in either spinning up businesses within that thing or encouraging them, okay, if you want to leave, maybe there's an opportunity for us to collaborate. So you're starting to see some really nice kind of harmony around this. And before it was uncomfortable because you would have people inside a corporation seeing a lot of ideas and then they weren't even paying attention to work. All they were doing is thinking about leaving and starting a business, which creates productivity issues for a corporation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I know that's happened a lot over the years with, you know, investment banks. They'll, uh, they'll work for Goldman or, or Morgan Stanley or something and then pop out and they've got a nice little boutique. Yeah, but let's also talk about grit, right? You take somebody that's got the balance sheet and resources to get paid every two weeks on a paycheck and they want to start a business. I'll sit there in a room and say, are you really ready? Do you know what it's like not getting a paycheck? Oh, by the way, do you know what bed sweats are like? Fearful every night. So while that sounds great, there's some realities around the emotional and the readiness to actually run a business that, you know, entre- you know that, that entrepreneurship's not a career. It's a way of life. And so I find many folks that get excited or they, they get excited to live vicariously and then they jump in and they have no idea how hard it is. It is the yeah. hardest thing I've ever done is build a business from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. Well, very cool. So we, you've mentioned a few things about 1871. What is that and what, what's the story behind that? Yeah. 1871 is what we call is um, a Chicago-based innovation, private innovation incubator. Um, and I'm very proud to have been the founding CEO for the Chicagoland Entrepreneur Center, which was the entity that actually created 1871. It was a 15-year journey. Um, so right now, 1871, just to give it, um, it is the largest private innovation incubator in the country. And it's based in downtown Chicago in an old building they converted into a tech hub. It's actually three floors. It's keep It's kept growing. So you have individuals, you have 10 accelerators in it. So we have the tech stars, we have a women's um, accelerator, we have bunker labs, which is for veteran based businesses. We have uh, educational um, accelerator. We have 15 venture funds with offices in there. And then we have corporate innovation groups. It is an entire ecosystem in one place. And why do we create it? Out of necessity. In Chicago, we had all these assets that weren't connected. And when I was the city's first chief technology officer, back when I had hair and in my mid-20s, I realized we had all these great people wanting to start businesses, but we didn't have a community. It was all dispersed through the city. We weren't Silicon Valley. And so after I launched my first business and raised $30 million, um, I saw that there weren't resources to help entrepreneurs. So when I was 33, so 17 years ago, um, I was the founder of the Chicagoland Entrepreneur Center, which was the city's effort to really create one create one community. It would be equivalent to kind of like a Silicon Slopes, but with services for entrepreneurs. And it was a real honor. I got to run that for seven years, work with a thousand entrepreneurs. But what's important to share with the community here, and I'm just delighted to be part of the community, is you get to see stuff. So I was part of five companies from idea to billion. Grubhub, companies like Cleversafe, Brightstar Health, Field Glass. And I was one of the judges for Grubhub when they came out of the business school at Chicago. And actually, the, C, um, the CEC 
otherwise known as 1871, we actually gave them a $15,000 grant. We were, I think, the second money into Grubhub. And when you can see that, it's a, it's a beautiful thing. But then since my time, there's been three CEOs past me. It takes a whole community to build a 15-year initiative. And uh, um, now 1871 is really, um, you know, it, it's internationally known. And 1871, by the way, for folks here, it stands for, that was the year of the Chicago Fire, where the city came together to rebuild. And so that was part of the branding. So the Chicagoland Entrepreneurial Center is the nonprofit that launched 1871. So it's something um, I'm really proud to be a part of. And, and there's an alumni group of, it, it took so many different people, like the current governor, J.B. Pritzker, and he's the current governor. He actually backstopped the lease for us to create 1871. So there's so many stories tied to that. And that's why I'm happy to be part of the community here and share kind of the playbook that I learned in, in really growing that community to being internationally known. When in, back in the day, they'd call us flyover territory and they would think that we couldn't build anything. So it was a really big mark for the city. And like I said, I'm honored to have played a small role in it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, following along those lines of playbook, um, what do you kind of see here? You've been here a few years. Um, what's kind of your playbook here in Utah? And why did you uh, ultimately head out west? A hundred percent for life and for skiing. I mean, I worked to ski. So I, I first started coming out here when I was 15 on the ski team in, in high school. It was actually ski club. Let me let me be be, be honest. So we had a ski club in a, in a big Chicago school. And I came out here largely because of my love for the mountains. And anytime I could vacation, I would come out here. And I was also tracking the tech community here because as a scout, you got to watch. And I was watching the B2B SaaS stuff grow and it was so tied to a lot of people that I went to school with. For example, my for people listening to this here, my classmate at Kellogg was Scott Dorsey. Scott Dorsey was on the board of Plural Site or still is. Scott Dorsey founded Exact Target, sold it to Salesforce for $2.6 billion. Um, and so I got to I work with many entrepreneurs that were starting to see some of the real growth of the B2B SaaS community out here. Um, which is just mind blowing. And then I started scouting companies for my corporate client that would send me here to scout companies for them to acquire like busy, busy in, in, in Utah for Caterpillar. And I was absolutely blown away by the quality of the workforce, the customer service focus, the sales centric. And I then started to see this organic growth of this community. This is in the last 10 years that blew me out of the water. So I'm like, wow, if I'm going to move and follow my dream to be skiing, I'm not going to go to San Francisco and go ski in Tahoe. I'm going to where I wanted it to be my hometown. I want it to be Utah because I've got my tribe of entrepreneurs and tech people. And then I got the mountains and yeah. just my life has been happy. But um, since I've moved out here, but the playbook you mentioned, the biggest thing you guys have done at Silicon Slopes, which I'm just, like I said, I reached out to you and Clint the first day I got here. Um, you have elevated the brand of the state like nothing else. I mean, the brand is, is amazing. Our problem in Chicago, we had no branding until we had 1871. And that's how 1871 would be equivalent to our kind of Silicon Slopes in terms of exposure. But we did it inside out. Actually, I think the fact that you guys created this brand is incredible. What's the gap in this market is capacity building resources. I think we got some great stuff, but there's a complete mismatch in funding resources 
and programs to help grow entrepreneurs based on the strength of the community. The good news is there's a will to do it. I'm seeing great stuff, but it hasn't totally, there's work to be done there. The good news is you have elevated the brand so that people want to come here. And I told you this, Clint, I mean, Garrett, I told last year I had more friends want to come to the summit um, from around the country. They're like, listen, we're coming to Utah. We can't wait to see this. So you guys have done an incredible job of, of raising the elevation right now. The big part of the playbook is we need more early stage capital resources that, that match up with the opportunities that are being created and also people that want to move here and start businesses. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for the kind words. And, uh, you know, um, you know, whether you build it bottom up or top down, there's always, you know, 15 years for you in 1871. And, uh, it's, uh, definitely a zigzag line. And, uh, you know, the ultimate goal is to give people, um, more opportunities, more chances and, uh, and follow kind of their, their dreams a bit more, uh, similar to what you're helping, uh, your entrepreneurs do. Can I share one one thing that's really impressed me? What's been going on in the women's tech and entrepreneurial community here is absolutely beautiful. And I, Chicago, just to give you an example, we were low. We're in the bottom 40 for women entrepreneurs. It took 10 years. And now Chicago, I think, is in number one or number two for women tech entrepreneurs. And so I have pattern recognition of how much work that took. There were programs. There were leaders. There was decision to get behind it. What I'm seeing here with Beta Boom, with Tara Spaulding, with We Rock, with Leslie Goldman at the Artemis Fund, with Rose at, 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 at Womenpreneurs, I'm blown out of the water. And I actually believe we're going to become the center for women tech entrepreneurs here. And I'm so excited. Last week, I participated in Beta Boom's event. You had people from around the world kind of looking into Utah and around what Kimmy and Sergio are doing. It was absolutely beautiful. Yesterday, watching We Rock's event, which was at, in your offices, um, was awesome. And so these things are amazing and I think are, are, are generating some real international traction. Also, around a time where we need more women and minority business leaders. We need a lot more work to do on diversity here. But the women's piece um, is just very exciting. And I just want to send a message to everybody listening. We need to get behind these initiatives because they have the ability to separate Utah from other states uh, in many ways. And you've got some of these leaders, like I mentioned, that are just rock stars and we just got to support them. Like I know you guys are doing. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the insights there. That's, you've got a, your finger on the pulse. Um, meat and potatoes question. Um, how do you spend your days? Um, what are some of the tricks you use to stay sane? Um, and uh, what are some tools that you, you use and you'd be very sad if they didn't exist to be productive? Hey, thank you for that question. I love, I'm a Chicago guy, so I love meat and potatoes. I love the thing. <laughs> so I have a routine and I coach a lot of entrepreneurs and I have mentors myself. So I love to share this. So I wake up, do my gratitude list is my first thing always humbles me and reminds me what I'm grateful for. I meditate every morning to get my head clear so that I can be the best version of myself. Um, I exercise, I interact with nature multiple times a day, which really not only keep, keeps me, um, creates equanimity within me and a sense of inner composure, 
but it also gets, gets the creative juices going. So, you know, gratitude list, meditate, some type of exercise. And then I always try to be of certain, you know, I believe I bank at the bank of karma chaired by the Dalai Lama. So every day I wake up and ask to be of service to entrepreneurs. And I find that um, for me, if I'm touching entrepreneurs and not just scouting them, but helping them answering questions, um, my day is always going to go better. But um, for me, uh, the biggest part and what people are obviously are continuing to travel for and why I moved here, the interaction with nature. So I will ski 50 days a year, hopefully this year. Um, I will ski 50 days a year. So I'll ski in the morning and work in the afternoon. Or I will hike and I love t doing peer groups with other entrepreneurs hiking. One of my biggest playbooks that I like to share as part of Meat and Potatoes was having a peer group in Chicago. And my peer group in Chicago was the founders of Grubhub, of Field Glass and Clever Safes, founder of Open Table, Chuck Templeton. And we helped each other. And so I still have a peer group and I've actually found a peer group here. And I'm on the board of Pando Labs in Park City. And, and really that's really helped me create, find my tribe of people. So a big thing for meat and potatoes for me is to have some accountability with some peers where I can tell them what I'm worried about, be vulnerable, sharing their success. Um, that is a big part of my happiness. And then the greatest part is I can tie my entrepreneurial peer group to activities physically, whether it's skiing, hiking, water skiing, um, or, you know, many people bike, you know, it's a big thing for me. So th yeah. that those are my meat and potato things. Yeah. That sounds like a great routine and uh, a lot of fun too. Yeah. For sure. All right. So if uh, Wisconsin and Northwestern are playing a football game, who do you cheer for? Badgers, 100%. I love it, brother. You know, I went to Wisconsin undergraduate and Northwestern for graduate school, but I am a Badger at my core. Very cool. Yeah. So um, how happy are you that the Big Ten is going to actually play football again? I'm happy. I'm happy. It's going to be weird, but um, I'm absolutely, I'm a hundred percent happy about it. And I think it's so important for the school. I think to, you know, when fall comes, my whole body remem reminds me of, of being up at school, you know, especially going to a big 10 school on the Saturdays, you hear the horns. And so I'm happy for the students there that they're not getting robbed of that experience. And we love football, man. You know, it's fall. It's like the whole body clicks in, you know, so I'm very, I'm happy for it. I just hope everyone stays safe. Yeah. Yeah. Thank goodness. They came to their senses and are going to, going to do it. I agree yeah. with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. Um, you know, this has been great, David, and uh, a lot of, of valuable insights. So if there's any, uh, you know, entrepreneurs that think they might be a good fit for you and, and your scouts, what's the best way for them to interact with you? Um, sure. So go to our website at freshwateradvisors.com um, and then I'll give everybody here as part of being a Utah resident, my email. So it's David at Freshwater Advisors. So uh, if you take a look at the corporations that we represent and scout and you have a business around those tracks and want to connect with me, um, I follow up with everybody, um, especially being a Utah resident now, a proud Utah resident. Um, I absolutely want to be helpful. So you can reach out to me at David at freshwateradvisors.com. Awesome. Cool. All right. Well, thank you for your time today, David, and look forward to uh, watching your continued success and uh, we'll have some fun one day on the, on the slopes, I'm sure. Yeah. Thanks, Garrett. Thanks for having me. Love the work you guys are doing. Well, thank you.